Good morning. So, Colleen, my wife, and I have been members here since 2019. Um, I guess going what Matt reminded us on Wednesday and uh, Jeff this morning is that uh, Thanksgiving's not just reserved for one day. So we're really thankful to be in this building instead of out there on the lawn. Um, we're thankful for our faithful pastors, for this church that uh, stands on the Word of God and makes prayer important, and uh, for the fellowship here among the brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you, and that's on page 979. Uh, So if you've been with us since September, this is going to be a familiar passage. Okay, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to continue in worship through the ministry of the word. Lord, we know that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, please quiet our minds and remove any distractions so that we may be attentive to eagerly receive your word. May it be true that we all leave differently today than when we came through the proclamation of your word. May we not be hearers only, but be doers of your word. And Lord, we pray for Larry, that he delivers your word with clarity and power through your Holy Spirit. We pray for him today as Paul requested for himself, that words may be given to him in opening his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, and that he may declare it boldly as he ought to speak. We ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm told that it was a a hot July morning, sometime in the 1870s, and a group of five college students showed up uh, in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear the uh, famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And they were, I guess they arrived at the building early, they were sort of milling around outside, and 
a man who they did not recognize came up to them and asked them if they wanted a tour of the church's building. And they, they were happy to do so, and so they walked inside, and they were looking around, and, and, and the man said to this group of visitors, would you like to see the church's heating plant? It was kind of a bizarre question, and as I said, it was a hot day, so it was not exactly like of interest to these visitors, but they went along with it. They didn't want to be rude, and so they said, sure, and so they followed this man down a stairwell, and they came to a door, and the man quietly opened the door, and he looked at them uh, with a grin, and he said, this is the church's heating plant. And when they looked inside, they saw around 700 people bowed together in prayer, asking for God's blessing upon the service that was about to begin. The man quietly closed the door and then introduced himself to the group of visitors. It was one Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, to this day... Charles Spurgeon remains, uh, I trust some of you know, and you have profited from his writings or his written sermons online. He remains a renowned and beloved preacher. But he seems to have known, and I trust he arrived at this conviction from his study of God's word. He seems to have known that no matter how gifted he was or how eloquent he was, and he was eloquent, Nothing good was going to come from his ministry unless God did it. And whatever good he would in fact do, he did through prayer. Now, I think it's that kind of conviction about the vital importance of prayer that is driving Paul as he concludes this exhortation to the Ephesians in the passage that we have been studying together uh, this fall. It's our last, it's the last sermon in this series. We have been considering the church's call to war. And it's probably good that I just, that I clarify if there are maybe newcomers among us, when we say the church's call to war, that can be kind of loaded language in this day, particularly with the Taliban and, and ISIS and people who take up arms of hate in the name of religion. That is certainly not the kind of warfare we're talking about, right? We've uh, sung it in song, our battle cry is love. We take up the armor of love and righteousness and grace and kindness in making known the wonderful, rich truth of the gospel. But we are at war as we seek to make and mature and multiply disciples of Jesus as we seek to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, God's people are met by a cold and ruthless enemy whose pleasure is our harm. And so as Paul brings this letter to a close, he he calls upon the saints in Ephesus to be strong in the Lord's strength and to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one, to put on the whole armor of God and to do it all, now as we come to the conclusion, to do it all with constant persevering prayer. All the pieces of armor that we have considered over the past several weeks are given in order that God's people might heed that call to stand 
I know it's, we've been moving through these verses very slowly. So it was like in September when we were talking about this call to stand. Look at, look at your Bible again. Look at this paragraph. Four times he mentions it in verse 11 that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then again in verse 14, stand therefore. And so this, this reference here in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit, seems to connect us back to that main exhortation that we stand. Calling upon the Lord in prayer is the way that believers stand firm and appropriate the divine armor that God has graciously supplied his people in Jesus. Uh, one commentator on the book of Ephesians has said, a life of dependence on God in prayer is essential if they are to engage successfully in their warfare with the powers of darkness and is foundational for the deployment of all the other weapons. In other words, we all need prayer from each other all of the time. I think that's the main burden of this text, particularly verse 18. And that's the main burden of this message. We all need prayer from each other all of the time. I want to show you that main point from verse 18. I'm going to mention verses 19 and 20, but I'm, I'm not going to say a whole lot about them. I just thought we should at least fill out the whole paragraph. Um, they're worthy of another sermon, but we're not going to do that. Jason's chomping at the bit. Hey, welcome back. I should have prayed for you. I had it written down at Passover. It's great to have Jason back, isn't it? And pray for him this week as he reengages and he prepares to bring God's word to us next week. Uh, but verse 18, we want, I just want to drive home the main point. We all need prayer from each other all of the time. I want you to see that in verse 18. I want to then drive that main point home uh, with some additional biblical considerations. I know that's a little vague, but I hope it will be helpful. And then I want to conclude with an exhortation that you be freshly devoted to prayer. So main point there, I want you to see it in verse 18. Broader biblical considerations to drive home that main point and an exhortation to be devoted to prayer together. We all need prayer from each other all the time. Can you see that there in verse 18, that that's not something I'm just making up? Praying at all times, again, that praying at all times is a connection. It's continuing a thought, not just to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, but to take up all the armor and so stand firm in the Lord, in the strength of his might, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, I, I, I do want to make clear to you at the start here uh, who is being referred to when I make the statement, we all need prayer from each other all of the time. Who is the we all? Well, in this passage, it's clearly a reference to God's people, to his children, to the saints, to those, he says here, who are praying in the spirit, which I understand means to be uh, with the help of the spirit, by the empowerment of the spirit, guided along and controlled by and under the sway of the spirit. 
Not as if that's some kind of an ecstatic thing. It's not some out-of-body experience. It's us praying in manner with, in accord with the desires and the purposes, and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul had already communicated to the Ephesians earlier in this letter something about how it is that one can draw near to God by the Spirit's aid. So if you, if you have your Bibles open, which I encourage you to have your Bibles open, uh, turn back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 18, oh, what a wonderful sound that is. That is such a good sound. I know some of you have it on a mobile device, and that's okay, but that's a wonderful sound. Ephesians 2.18, for through him, we both have access, we both, Jew and Gentile, he's talking about in the context, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, kids, a little, little quiz here for you kids. Just tell me if you can guess who it is when, when it says, through him, we have access to God. Who's the him, do you think? Jesus. That's always a good answer in church, and that's the right answer. Yes, it's through Jesus. Jesus is the one, and I'm not going to get into all of the details of chapter 2, but if you look at the surrounding verses there, Jesus is the one who has become our peace and who has reconciled Jew and Gentile to God and to one another through the shedding of his blood when once we were far off, when we had been estranged from God and from the covenants of promise, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, when we were without hope and we were without God in the world, Jesus reconciled us. And so through him, it's through Jesus, that we have access in one spirit to the Father. And I think that's especially important for us to see, especially it may be important for those of you that perhaps are here visiting with us today, and you don't maybe understand yourself to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, It is important that you understand that prayer is, is not simply something that you have a right to. That if, if God is out there and he exists and if he is attentive to us humans, then surely he must be obligated to give ear to our prayers. I think sometimes we may have, uh, even those who don't profess to be believers, have a little bit of an entitlement attitude when it comes to God in prayer. And so maybe they think they prayed for something at some point, And God didn't come through and answer that prayer. And now they've concluded God's not real because he didn't answer my prayer as if he's just whenever anyone is calling upon him. It's like God is just there to listen and answer and help no matter who the person is, no matter what they've done, no matter how they're living their life or what they're thinking about him. And we need all of us, not just please don't tune out because you think this is the part for non-Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's important that we be disabused of the notion that God is entitled to answer our prayers. God is not obligated to hear the prayers of his enemies. Right? Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your iniquities, God says to his people Israel, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Approaching God at will and being welcomed and being heard and being helped is not something that any of us deserve. 
We deserve the opposite. We deserve to be denied access to his heavenly throne. We can't just go to God and accept a, a warm or expect a warm welcome from him because we have sinned against him. We have made ourselves rebels against him. In, in our sin, we declare that we think life without God is actually better than life with him. And so we have, by our sin, all of us, we have forfeited any claim that we have of a relationship with him or any claim to his favor or his help. We have sinned against him. I I just was reading providentially this morning uh, in Proverbs 28. Today's the 28th day of the month. I read through the Proverbs like this. I've read Proverbs chapter 28, and it says there in Proverbs 28, 9, "If, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, Even his prayer is an abomination. That always gets my attention when I come across the word abomination in the Bible. That's a strong word. Is that even someone coming with prayers to him? The prayers are an abomination if one closes his ears to God's law. And that's that's part of the indictment on the whole human race is that we have shut our ears to God's law. And so we don't deserve to have our prayers answered or even heard but the good news that has brought us together here this morning is that jesus christ saves sinners and he reconciles sinners to god right there is one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus jesus bridged the gap that we had created by our sin, that gap separating us from God and closing his ear to our prayers, God bridged that gap in Jesus by Christ coming and taking on a body of flesh and blood. And in his body of flesh, he bore our sins so that we who were far off, who were enemies, who were strangers and aliens from his good and almighty throne, that we might again be granted access, that we might be brought near to him as beloved children. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's another one of my readings this, this past week in First Peter chapter 3. You know, when you get acquainted with the Bible, when you've read the Bible many times through for many years, you can just read stuff. Sometimes, and it's just like, I don't know if it's that dull of hearing thing that the writer of Hebrews was talking about. or if it, it's just, You just forget the wonder and the amazement of certain things. And I was just really struck as I was reading 1 Peter 3 this past week. That's amazing. Christ suffered once for sins. No need for multiple offerings. By one single offering, the righteous came and gave his life for the unrighteous. And what has he done? He's brought us near to God. Who's the us? The us is all who repent. And believe in the Lord Jesus to all who repent of their sin, who renounce their claim on their own life and say, Jesus, my life exists for you. I have sinned against you. I have dishonored you. I need your mercy and grace. Please forgive me and accept me and welcome me to all who receive him in that way. He saves from sin. 
And he pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, by whom we might now call upon God and come to him in prayer as a loving heavenly father. Confident that he will hear us and that he will do what is good for us and that he will give what is good to us and that he will withhold nothing good from us and that he will work all things for the good of his beloved sons and daughters. Oh, we can now come to him boldly. The writer of Hebrews says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of his grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so if you happen to be among us and you don't understand yourself to be a Christian, we invite you today. We urge you today to call upon the Lord. For salvation from the guilt and the judgment of sin that our sins deserve, that your sins deserve. Those are prayers that he will most assuredly hear. Oh, he he will hear any hell-deserving sinner who is aware of their sin and is aware that Jesus is the one mediator between man and God and cries out saying, God, forgive me through Jesus. He will hear that prayer. There's a wonderful little story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18 about a a tax collector. And tax collectors were especially known to be vile and reprehensible sinners against God in that particular day. And Jesus tells a story about this sinner who, who just stands at a distance and is aware of the guilt and corruption of his sin and just offers this simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Prayer doesn't need to be eloquent. Prayers don't need to be long in order to be effective. And so this sinner, this tax collector just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what Jesus says is that man went down to his house justified. Because God is that good. And that for all who receive him, as John 1, 12 says, for all who received in him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, we invite you to do that this morning. I have a little book here. If you, would, if you would be wanting to think through the love of God and the message of Jesus, I have a little book here. They're not on the back, but you can come talk to me if you want to. It's called, Does God Love Everyone? And this is a short little book. If you want to just think through, it's very simple in a sense, but really profound question of who God loves and why God would love anyone. This would be maybe a helpful little resource for you to think more about that question. My brothers and sisters, those of you who have received that Uh, mercy and forgiveness of Christ. Don't lose sight of the privilege that we have, the marvel that it is that we can come to God in prayer. It's a duty. In a sense, it's what that, that statement that I said, it's a duty, right? We all need prayer from each other all of the time. You need to pray for others. And you could hear that as a duty. In a sense, it is a duty. It's something that we are called to do. But I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that it is an amazing privilege Right? Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift that we have his ear now because of Jesus. And so we can rightly sing. I'm not going to sing today. I'm not going to sing this at least. I sing with you, but I'm not. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. That the one and only God, the self-existing God who had no beginning, who has no end, 
who was not made, who was before everything and everyone else, who alone is everywhere, who possesses all authority and power, the almighty God, the Lord most high, the sovereign Lord, the ancient of days, avenging and awesome, blessed and compassionate, gracious and eternal, faithful and holy, creator and forgiver, the God of comfort and of glory and of heaven and earth and of justice and of love and of peace and truth, that this God should invite us, should urge us to come to him and that he would give us his own spirit that we might bring our needs to him. Privilege does not do does not do the word justice from of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Oh, what an astonishing privilege it is that we pray that we can pray. And Paul calls upon every saint to avail themselves of this precious gift and privilege. All the time, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. We all need prayer from each other all of the time. Now, I could say more about the particular phrases there, but you just get, you know, um, verse 18. I could say more. I even actually have more written in. I'm going to pass over it right now because I think that you can see that main point. We all need. Can you see it in verse 18? We all need prayer from each other all the time. Praying at all times in the spirit. We've talked about what it is to pray in the spirit and who can pray that way with all prayer and supplication, all kinds of prayers, short prayers and long prayers, prayers in private and prayers in in corporate gatherings, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. You see how repetitive that is? Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints, making supplications for all the saints. He's wanting, I think the repetition is there to drive home the force and the urgency and the importance of this charge. We are to pray at all times for everyone with all kinds of prayer and supplications for all the saints with all perseverance because we can fade, we can drift, we can get sleepy and we can slumber in our praying. But he wants us to be alert and vigilant. I should have a little confession time, okay, as I get here and exhort you to prayer. Um... I just, the, the, the appetite for prayer can just cool by little, by degrees in a way that's imperceptible until you just get to the point like, I've just grown cold in prayer. Have you known that to be true, saints? So like, so I, I pulled this out because I write this thing just about every week. And I have to, I just want to tell you, because I'm about to exhort you to prayer. I don't think I've prayed, I don't think I've used this for like probably two months. And I was just pierced with that. Praise God for passages of Scripture that pierce imperfect pastors and drive them back to the means of grace that God has given for the strengthening of the church. I didn't set out two months ago. So, you know what? I'm done praying with it. I'm done using this. I'm writing the thing every week. Just a little little busy, couple bullet points, didn't get through all of them, and a little bit and a little step. And it's just like, it's two months I haven't used the thing. And so we need to be alert with all perseverance because prayer, the, the appetite for prayer, the energy for prayer, it, it fades, it cools. And he wants us to be warm and he wants us to be devoted to prayer at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
We all need prayer from each other all the time. Pray for me that I'll pray more for you. And I'll pray for you that you'll pray more for me and for each other. All kinds of prayer. The prayer guide is to give you all kinds of prayers and all kinds of supplications. I used it this week. And I intend to use it in the week ahead. Now, the church, the church in Ephesus, the church in the New Testament, they, they seem to have felt this need for prayer and experienced this need for prayer very tangibly since the very beginning of the church. And this is, this is me moving to point number two, these broader biblical considerations that I said we would touch on. Just think about, I was thinking about it this way. How, think about how we got here today. There's more, I try try to draw this to your attention every so often. There's more people, I'm pretty sure, I'm I'm, I'm pretty certain there's more than 120 people. Can someone confirm that there's more than 120 people in this room right now? I think there are. Just eyeballing it. Jeff said yes. He's authoritative on this matter. There's more people in this room right now than there were followers of Jesus at the time when Jesus went to heaven. So you've got 120 disciples. That's what we're told in Acts chapter 1. 120 They've just seen Jesus. Now, they've seen him rise from the dead, okay? So they're brimming with hope. But there's a lot of, you've got to imagine in that room, after he's gone to heaven, he says, wait, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they're sitting in this upper room in Jerusalem where they just saw Jesus get hatefully crucified by the religious authorities. And he's saying, you go and you're going to testify. What do you think was going on in their minds and hearts? I would imagine there was some trepidation. There was some felt helplessness. They, Jesus said, wait. And then we get this picture in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to what? Say it a little bit louder, saints. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were in prayer together. They felt their need. They felt how dependent they were. They felt how helpless they were to be able to carry on this commission that Jesus had given them. And they were together in of one accord, gathered together, and they were praying. And what we see from there is that the spread of the gospel and the multiplication of the word of God that's chronicled throughout the book of Acts is a record of answered prayer. I'd encourage you. I'm not going to give you all the, all the addresses here, the biblical addresses in what I'm about to say. But I would just encourage you this week to just in a sitting or two to just read through the whole book of Acts. And see the centrality of prayer in the life of the church as the church began to advance from those 120 confused, beleaguered disciples to a gathering. Just one little gathering here that's a larger gathering than that one gathering. After the, after the 3,000 were converted on the day of Pentecost, these new disciples were told in Acts 2 were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, The church was strengthened with boldness in the face of imprisonment and threats and opposition in response to prayers. They prayed in Acts chapter 4, and the Spirit came upon them freshly, and they were emboldened to preach the gospel without fear, though they had been threatened and beaten and imprisoned. And when, when a ministry crisis hits, the widows are not being fed. The apostles had seen the power of prayer so tangibly that they said, hey, this is a big deal, but we can't possibly pray any less. 
So let's raise up some servants, identify some servants, because we can't neglect the ministry of prayer and the ministry of God's word. So raise up some, find some who can meet this very important need, because we can't pray less. And how did they find those servants in Acts chapter 6? They gave themselves to prayer. Uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is stoned to death. And as his life is coming to an end, he prays for the forgiveness of those who are killing. He says, don't hold this sin against them. And do you know who happened to be in the midst when Stephen was praying that prayer? A man named Saul who was persecuting the church. And do you know what happened to Saul in chapter 9 of Acts? You may never thought, I never thought about it this week, I don't think, that the conversion of Saul was an answer to Stephen's prayer for his persecutors in Acts chapter 7. God saved Saul in response to the prayer of Stephen. And then we see in Acts chapter 9, Paul encounters the risen Lord and it leads him to prayer as he's waiting for Ananias to lay hands on him and restore his sight. It's in prayer that Peter sees this vision of, of the animals coming down and, and his ethnic prejudice is confronted. And, and Jew and Gentile are brought together by the one spirit. And, and the gospel is clarified. And the recipients and the beneficiaries of the gospel is clarified through Peter being in prayer in Acts chapter 10. The church then is in prayer once Peter is in prison. The church is in prayer for him. And he's miraculously delivered by an angel. And then he shows up at the very prayer meeting where they were praying for Peter. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are set apart for the global advance. They're sent out on a missions trip. As the leaders there in Antioch were giving themselves to fasting and prayer. As, P as Paul and Barnabas went around establishing churches, it says that they appointed elders in every church. And they committed them to the Lord through prayer and through fasting. Paul and Silas come to Philippi and they come, where do they go? They go to a prayer meeting. Some women were praying and the church in Philippi is birthed at a little prayer meeting of women in the city of Philippi. Then they get imprisoned. And what are they, what do they do in the, in the jail? They're singing hymns and they're praying when an earthquake comes and brings about the conversion of the jailer who was holding them. Paul says farewell to the elders uh, of Ephesus in Acts 20, and he concludes it by praying for them. He's given direction and ministry, we're told in Acts 22, in response to prayer. And then we know in the rest of the New Testament, he's just constantly telling the church to pray. He's telling them in this passage, pray for me. Paul doesn't even think that he's going to be able to preach the gospel clearly or boldly without the prayers of God's people. He tells us about Epaphras, who's struggling for the Colossians on their behalf, struggling in prayer for them. He prayed, he tells the Thessalonians, pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored as it was among you. Paul knew he couldn't do anything. God's people knew they couldn't do anything without prayer. Prayer is what the people of God do because what the people of God do, they can't do. At least not without God. Do you remember how Paul described his own commissioning? Back in, in Acts chapter 26. He said this, this, was, this was when Jesus met him. He's recounting the story of when he encountered Jesus. And he, sa he says, I'm sending you. These are the words of the risen Jesus to Paul. I'm sending you to open their eyes, the eyes of the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, our mission is... is, is 
I mean, our role in the mission is different than Paul, right? Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He was an authoritative spokesman in a way that you and I are not. But in a sense, that is the continuation of our mission. We're to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're called to preach the gospel, and we're called to ransom. We're called, we're not called to, we're not paying a ransom, but we're called to deliver people by our preached message out of the darkness of sin and Satan's dominion and see them transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. We're to preach the gospel and make disciples of the Lord Jesus. Can we do that? Like, can we do that? Can we, can we, can we change the leopard spots? Can we raise the dead? Can we keep a soul in the love of God? Can we encourage the faint hearted or give stability and patient endurance to the oppressed? Can we produce in ourselves or in each other the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? Can we, can we help someone to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Can we make people hopeful about the immeasurable greatness of God's power that is at work toward those who believe? Can we make someone walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him? Can we, can we rejoice always or get another person to rejoice always? Can we glorify the Lord authentically, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do? Can we, be, can, we, can we change ourselves into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another as we behold his glory? Can we present anyone mature in Christ? If you're not tracking with me, the answer to all those questions is no. We can't do those things in our own strength. Because the devil is vicious and our flesh is stubborn and the world is seductive, we are totally impotent to bring about the very things that we long for and the very things that we are called to pursue in our own lives and for each other and in all the world. Do do you remember the quote? You don't. I'm going to just share it again. (laughs) I shared it in September. Maybe, Maybe some of you do, okay. From John Newton. He said, have you considered what the enemy can do if he's permitted to come in like a flood? You remember this quote? See, you don't. You don't remember it, do you? Dave was looking at me like you you don't remember it. I love you. It's not about you. It's just, you know, we're forgetful people. I need to be reminded of things all the time. I'll remind you. In one hour, he could raise such a storm as would put you to your wit's end. He could bring such a dark cloud over your mind as would blot out all remembrance of your past comforts or at least prevent you from deriving the least support from them. He could not only fight against your peace, but he could shake the very foundations of your hope and bring you to question not only our interest in the promises, but even to doubt of the most important and fundamental truths upon which your hopes have been built. How are we going to stand against him? We're going to take up his armor, beloved. We're going to take up God's armor. We're going to take up the belt and the helmet and the breastplate and the shield of faith and the readiness given by the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit. But we're going to have to do all that praying at all times in the spirit. So we can't do anything without prayer. I was nudged on um, 
Yeah, I'm just going to be a little long today. That's just what, that's, that's how that goes. Um, I was nudged on Wednesday night by someone sitting in the front row right now who will remain nameless. I, maybe you should say something, you know, giving thanks. Well, you know, everybody was sharing and it was encouraging and you all hear from me a lot. So I, you know, I didn't say anything, but it's not because I wasn't thankful. But if I had spoken, I would have said this. I'm thankful to God that I have not forsaken Jesus in the year 2021. Because I'm just especially mindful this year of how easy that would be apart from the preserving power of the Lord Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Without his keeping power, I would deny him. And so would you. But God has saved us and he has sanctified us and he will keep us to the end through prayer. And we just give ourselves to pray. We just we're just answering prayer for each other. We're just asking him to keep keep him standing. Keep him standing. Father, would you would you grant Jackie to not be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus? And we don't think much of that prayer, maybe. But Jackie doesn't stay in the love of Jesus if it's not for the ongoing prayers of God's people and the keeping power of God that comes about through prayer. That's not just true for Jackie. That's true for all of us. Lord, fulfill in Steve and Julie every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power so that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified in them and they in him according to your grace and the grace of the Lord Jesus. Father, would you, would you help Noah to not love the world or the things of the world? but help him to keep on doing the will of God and so abiding forever. Andy and Missy. Father, would you help Andy and Missy to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing knowing that it's God who is at work in them to will and to work for your good pleasure. And we just pray for all the saints at all times. I could do that. Now, I could really go long. I could just do that with scripture for every single one of you. That's how I pray for you. I don't know what to pray most times. I just pray Bible for you. And none of that, none of that stuff, working out your salvation, being strong with the word of God abiding you, knowing that you've overcome the evil one, fulfilling every resolve for good, love abounding with knowledge and all discernment. None of that happens apart from prayer. Because we can't do what we're called to do. That's why Paul prays. That's why Paul asks for prayer. That's why Paul calls on God's people to give themselves to praying without ceasing because we all need prayer from each other all of the time. So I just want to close with a little exhortation to you to stay devoted to prayer together. Uh, It was the late J.I. Packer who said that prayer is the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. And I think that can be said of churches as well. Prayer is the measure of a church, spiritually, in a way that nothing else is. A church's prayer life reveals what it truly values, uh, where that church is placing their hope, on who or on what that church is relying I was challenged myself personally, and it has changed my praying for you and with you. Uh, I, was, I was pierced a few years ago when a pastor, when I heard a pastor lament what he described as 
the shocking, abysmal, and embarrassing failure of churches to pray. And then another quote that I came across, to abandon prayer is to embrace atheism. And I, I, I hope that such statements do not mark our church. Constant, persevering prayer is a way that we advertise as a church that our God is powerful, as I said earlier, and that our God is dependable. We don't need people, we don't need to gather in a way, we don't need to do some marketing campaign to advertise how great we are. That would be ridiculous. But we want to advertise how great he is, how powerful he is, how good he is, how reliable he is, and we do that by praying. We try to cultivate that by those prayer guides, even when foolish pastors stumble and drift away from using them. We try to cultivate that by giving you, the, you members that directory and encouraging you and exhorting you to pray regularly for the members of this church. By our, our meeting together specifically on the first and third Sunday night of each month to give ourselves especially to a concentrated time of prayer. We try to pray meaningfully on Sunday mornings. This is the way, one of the ways that I was pierced uh, a few years ago is not just using prayer as a transition point between parts of the service but actually to commune with God, to praise him, to confess our sins to him and how it's broken our fellowship with him and how we can be restored through confession and repentance, to bring our needs to him. He so richly and graciously lavished us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, including the blessing of prayer together. I've been saying this to you throughout the series, right, that the verbs in this, in this paragraph are second-person plural. When he says praying at all times in the Spirit, he's talking about the church praying together. Y'all praying in the Spirit at all times. Now, it's not much to look at, I, I acknowledge. It's not much to look at. Maybe that's why so few of you attend on the first and third Sundays of the month. We, just, we show up. We spend a few minutes talking about sharing with others, you know, things that we need to pray for. And then we bow our heads and then we just ask God for daily needs and for the advance of the gospel. And if somebody closes with an amen, well, we all say amen because I think that's important. But I'm not going to get into that tangent right now. And then we just do that again and again and again. And oftentimes we do it without demonstrable evident results from our praying. But I think it's one of the most important things that the church does. And, and I, I have to say, uh, I've been thinking a lot about whether to say this or what to say or how to say it. And it's going to come out now. So whoever has been praying, thank you. My heart is a bit troubled. Um, at the, I don't know what it is. So I don't know what to pin it on. I, don't, I, don't, I think shocking maybe is too strong. And maybe abysmal is too strong. I think embarrassing maybe is getting closer to it. Um, the self-sufficiency that exists among us, perhaps the apathy or the lovelessness that leads to such little energy and attentiveness and devotion to gathering together specifically for prayer. Even from what we knew two years ago in this church. I'm not, I don't want to compare myself to the Metropolitan Tabernacle with 700 people gathering for prayer. But two years ago, 
we would have 60, 70 people coming to pray on the first. It was, at that point, it was the first Sunday of the, of the month, first Sunday night. Now it's first and third. We had Pre-COVID, we had 50, 60 people. 70 or 80 even would be, you know, that would happen. And now it's like uh, if we have 20, it's a big, big crowd. What, what, what happened? Uh, it's, it's, it's concerning to me that so few regard that as a worthy investment of maybe two hours of your month. I don't, I don't want to shame you, beloved. That's not why I'm saying it. I don't want to shame you. But sometimes the word of God does bring reproof. We talked about that last week from 2 Timothy chapter 4. The word sometimes reproves. And I think we might need a reproof on this matter. I know that praying at all times in the spirit for all the saints, I know that that cannot be just defined solely by our attendance at a prayer meeting two nights a month. We have no biblical command to call you to gather together on the first and third Sundays of the month to pray specifically. It's a matter of prudence. But we believe it is good and right and wise for us to pray together, to be of one accord praying. And it's something that if it's going to happen, we need to make time for it. I'm not troubled at the size of the gatherings per se. You understand I don't get a commission for how many people show up at that prayer meeting, right? That's not how it works. But it does trouble me that so few of us experience the encouragement and the unifying value that we have and that we experience as we, as we look to the Lord together in prayer. That was a rich blessing. I'm not down on the meeting last week. I think we had eight members here. And I, I think we can do better than eight members, frankly. Because you're super committed to gathering here. Your commitment throughout. We were out there. This was actually a nice day. This would have been a nice day last year at this time. But you were out there. I'm not down on this church's willingness and commitment to gather. But I'm not sure that I understand the disconnect. Why we don't come together to pray. And I, I, I'm not angry. Uh, I'm not. I'm not angry at all. But because I love you and I care for you, I'm just concerned that we're missing a big opportunity for corporate good in this church by our neglect of it. It is, as Spurgeon has said, the engine house of the church. I'll close with this. I know I'm a little late. Um, Spurgeon gave an evening. He, he would regularly gather the church and, and, and they would pray. And at a, in an evening address... At the church's prayer meeting, he said to his congregation, after someone, I guess, had said to him and referred to the prayer meeting pejoratively as only a prayer meeting, he said this, the prayer meeting must be maintained at all cost. The communion of the church with God must never be broken. If you visit a factory, you may see thousands of wheels revolving and a host of hands employed. It's a wonderful sight. But where's the power that keeps all this running? Look at that slated shed. Come into this grimy place smelling of oil. What is it? It's the engine house. You don't think much of it, but that is the center of power. If you stop that engine, every wheel will stand still. Some good people say, I'm not going out tonight. It's only a prayer meeting. Just so. It's only the engine. But that's everything. Prayer. This is Spurgeon closing. It's prayer is the engine of the church.
so beloved. It's a, it's a wonderful privilege that we have. It's a privilege that we can know and experience on our own in private. I hope you do more and more. But it's something we can enjoy together as well. What keeps you from prayer? What keeps you from praying together? I, I do think the more Christianity is openly despised by the people around us, the more we need to be praying together to remind us of, of what will be the reality on that last day and to remind us that what we see around us is not the final reality. As in the first century, it is today. The enemies of the church are not mainly political. They're not mainly national. They're not mainly ethnic. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The great battles today are fought not with swords or political advertisements, but with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, with words of truth and deeds and love and justice, and all of it is backed by and inflamed by prayer. The triumph of God's kingdom and the advance of the gospel is certain, and it will come through the earnest prayers of his people. So, beloved, let us pray. Thank you for your forbearance. You do not have to hear from me now again for a few weeks. You can welcome back Pastor Jason to the pulpit next week. Did I say I love you? Did I say I love you? I do love you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. Oh, words, can, words, words just fail to convey what a glorious privilege it is that you, the, the sovereign God who has no needs, Man, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You need nothing from us, but you invite us to come, that we may work with you in the accomplishment of your sovereign purposes in the world. What an astonishing privilege it is. Would you help us, Father, to grow in loving the privilege of prayer? in our closets, as it's been spoken of earlier in this service, in our prayer closets, in our small groups, in our elders' meetings, uh, in our Bible studies, in our, in our daily interactions with one another, in text messages and phone calls and emails and cards and letters. May we be praying for one another at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints, Father. We look forward to meeting even brothers and sisters from North Korea on that final day of glory, celebrating the triumphs that you worked among your people through prayer. Father, make us devoted to prayer, that we would advertise as a congregation that you are almighty and that you are infinitely good and reliable. We ask for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.